0: Good morning ladies, I have a question for you as your your eyes are drawn to that photo on the screen. My question is, do you know that person? Do you recognize that person? And you all say, of course, who is it? It's Kathy Lee Gifford. Everybody knows Kathy Lee Gifford. If you're as old as me, you may have watched her in the 80s and the 90s on Live with Regis and Kathy Lee. She's beautiful, she's talented, she's funny. She, after she finished 15 years with Regis, she started another career and spent 15 years on the Today Show during that fourth hour with Hoda. She is, she's an amazingly gifted woman, and if you know a little bit more about her, you also know that Kathy Lee is a woman of faith. She shares our love for Jesus. I also learned, interestingly enough, for those of us living here in Arkansas, that, she, that ORU is her alma mater, so I thought that was also kind of interesting. She sings. She's written books. Uh, she's recorded albums. Uh, she was married to Frank Gifford, who's now passed. Who was an NFL star and a sportscaster. They have two children. Uh, so we look at that face, and all of you immediately recognized her. I know her. That's Kathy Lee Gifford, of course. But when I say, "But do you really know her? Do, do, do you and Kathy Lee hang out? Do you <laughs> exchange text messages?" Have you and Kathy Lee had coffee or gone out to lunch together? Do you, do you exchange birthday presents? Are you Facebook friends? Do you, do you message one another back and forth? And then you would say, Well, you know, I know who she is, but I don't really know Kathy Lee. So you would agree with me then that there's a huge difference between knowing about or recognizing, but really deep down in your heart knowing, and having a relationship. So we'll in our study this week. Our Lord Jesus shared a parable in Matthew 25 about ten bridesmaids. And they all thought they knew the bridegroom. But as it turns out, only five of the ten really and truly knew him. I want to invite you, as is always our custom, to stand in honor of God's holy word. We're going to read our text, Matthew 25, 1-13, through 13, because God's Word is our authority for everything that we learn here. So you can either just listen or follow along with me as I read from Matthew chapter 25. This is all red letters, so these are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ as recorded in his holy scripture. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, "'Here's the bridegroom! Come out to meet him!' Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, "'Give us some of your oil! Our lamps are going out!' "'No,' they replied, "'there may not be enough for both of us and you. "'Both us and you. "'Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves.' But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived, the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Ladies, thank you for standing in honor of God's words. You may be seated. Would you just pray with me briefly as we begin? Lord God Almighty, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you that you chose to teach us through parables. And so, Father, today I pray for a spirit of wisdom and understanding to descend upon our hearts and minds. Let us receive what you have recorded here. Let us be challenged by the word of God. We pray that your spirit would take your word and teach and instruct us, and we would leave here as women of God committed to live out the truth that you have given. We ask for illumination by your spirit and in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, Jesus, again, just as in last week as we talked about, taught in parables during his earthly ministry. And it was such a clever way of teaching because he would take a natural, ordinary, everyday event or circumstance of life Something that was very familiar to his listeners, something they could relate to, and he used that as a means to teach them a spiritual truth or a spiritual lesson. This week's parable, he's using an event that would also be familiar a wedding ceremony. I'm sure that all of his listeners had either participated in a wedding themselves or attended a wedding ceremony. So again, something very familiar. Now, what's Not familiar to us, even though we're familiar with weddings, is most likely the Jewish wedding ceremony. In Jewish weddings in the first century, it was sort of a a two part deal. There was the betrothal, and the betrothal would happen when the bride's parents and the groom's parents would meet up. Usually, this was an arranged kind of thing. The bride's parents would pay a dowry or a bride price, and that launched. This legal binding agreement, this betrothal, was legal. It would require a divorce to separate it, but the couple were not yet consummating their marriage. They wouldn't be living together until the marriage ceremony that would come much later. If you are a student of Scripture or if you've just read the story of of Mary and Joseph, you may be familiar with that word betrothed. We know that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. When she, when the Holy Spirit, when when the angel visited and the Holy Spirit came up on her and she was found to be with child, she and Joseph were legally bound through the betrothal but they had not yet had their marriage ceremony to be tied together in a marriage ceremony and consummating that marriage. So when this happened, it was in that between time. And so as this parable unfolds, this couple in the parable Jesus is relating, they have been betrothed, and now it's time for the marriage ceremony. And so just as with the parable of the faithful servant last week, this parable also has some key players, some key characters, and some main elements. Of course, there's the bridegroom. And the bridegroom, we looked at other scripture, the bridegroom is Jesus Christ. There are ten bridesmaids mentioned. And there's, of course, the wedding feast that's about to happen. A lot of time and focus given to talk about the lamps and then specifically to talk about the oil or or lack of oil in the lamps. All ten of the bridesmaids had a lamp that day. Now, with the first-century Jewish wedding, when it was time for that ceremony, what would happen is the groom would leave his home and go to the bride's house to collect his bride. And when he would pick her up, and usually this would happen after dinner, so it it would begin to be dark, he would pick her up, and that would launch this wedding processional. Almost think about it as a wedding parade. And so all the bridesmaids would be waiting there to jump into the parade. So, the, the procession back to the groom's house for this marriage feast would take place after sundown. And so, of course, a lamp would be needed. This was a time no electricity, no street lights, no flashlights, batteries. They had to have a lamp if they were going to get to be part of that marriage processional. This was a festive time, this was a happy occasion, a time of celebration. And so, using a marriage. As the backdrop for his parable and his teaching, relatable to the audience, understandable to his listeners, Jesus knew that his listeners, would this would resonate with them. They would understand, they would identify with the, the wedding processional. We have to work a little harder to understand because this is not a part of perhaps our culture. The ten virgins, or I like to call them the ten bridesmaids, they would all have been unmarried young girls, friends of the bride, and they're all there waiting to be part of that wedding parade or the processional to the groom's house. In many ways, those ten bridesmaids are all very, very similar. But in the most important way of all, they are very distinct. And in his teaching, our Lord Jesus Christ differentiates them by declaring five to be wise and five to be foolish. So I want to examine those similarities between the five and the key distinctive difference between the other five. So first of all, when we look at them, they all responded. They all showed up. They all expected the bridegroom to come. They showed up. They wanted to be a part of the feast. And so if when we sort of make this application to today, these are the people that are showing up today for worship. These are the people that plant themselves in the pew on Sunday morning and show up for Sunday school or even Bible study. This is the visible church showing up, serving, wanting to be a part of God's people, craving that fellowship. This isn't the people who are antagonistic to the gospel. This isn't the people that are saying hateful things and and tweeting and posting mean things about the church on Facebook. These aren't the people that are self-proclaimed atheists. For all outward appearances, these are all people who are drawn to God, not the people that are stiff-arming God. So that's kind of interesting. These are all Women that that, that would look like us, the church ladies. They all look like good church ladies, good girls on the outside. They're all dressed in their virgin garb. They're all wearing their bridesmaids' dresses, if you will. They all look like they belong there. Now, today when we try to make an an application to that, I'm grateful that there's not kind of a look that you have to have to belong to the body of Christ today. There was probably a time that having a a six-inch thick chain reference Bible and a really cool Bible case might distinguish you as a Christian or something like that. Or or maybe you were expected to have a a fish symbol on your bumper sticker. But we, we look different today. And all are welcome no matter how you dress. There's no look when you come into the body of Christ today. All these ten virgins, all these ten bridesmaids, they all look the same. They were all in the same place. They carried the same lamp. They all had a lamp. Isn't that interesting? No electricity, street lights in the first century. The one job assigned to the bridesmaids was to walk in the procession. Kind of like today. The bridesmaid's job is to walk down the aisle when it's her turn, right? And so they all, in order to walk in that procession, they needed a light. So they all brought a lamp, and, and, and they were to shine that light when the bridegroom would come to help them get all the way to the marriage feast. They all had some knowledge of the bridegroom, and just like we all know Kathy Lee and we readily recognized her picture on the screen, they all knew who he was. I think the most important or the most interesting to me similarity between both of them is that they were all sleeping, all of them. The wise and the foolish went to sleep. The bridegroom, he took a little longer than they expected. Jesus is our bridegroom, and probably to some people's way of thinking, and especially if we could go back in time and talk to those who were alive in the first century, I think they would probably be very surprised that our Lord has tarried this long with his return. Jesus is probably taking a little longer to come back than many expect. All ten bridesmaids were waiting on him, and every single one of them fell asleep as they waited. Waiting in faith is not stressful. Waiting in faith should be peaceful. And it's interesting that the wise were able to sleep just the same as the foolish ones. It's not wrong to sleep. The rhythm of life means that we go ahead and do our jobs even as we wait on faith for our Lord to return. We are not called as women of God to get on our lawn chair and climb up on our roof and, and 24-7 be looking at the sky watching for the Lord to return. We are to be about the things and the tasks and the jobs that are before us. We go to work. We eat. We sleep. We love our babies. We change diapers. We spank them when they need it. We love our husbands. We, we clean our toilets. We vacuum. We weed our garden. All those different things. And, and, and there's a zillion of them in a group this size. We could think about all the things that were on our list yesterday. Doing our job is part of the rhythm of life. And that includes sleeping. It includes resting. It includes expecting him to come and watching for him to come, but there's not this requirement that we have to keep vigil 24/7. The sleeping wise bridesmaids slept that sleep of peace and joyful confidence. They knew that whenever he would come, they were ready. Whether it was sooner or whether it was later, they were ready. They knew that they were ready, and they had oil to last all the way into the dark part of the night. Do you and I have faith that sustains us through the darkest part of the hard days? Do we have faith it's going to last all the way through those hard times that might come in the dead of the night, in the in the hard, dark places of life, and the hard things it sometimes brings if our Lord continues to tarry? Now, those... I, I love this quote that I came across this week. I wanted to share with you by Victor Hugo. If you recognize that name or it sounds familiar, he was a French poet and author, novelist, and he wrote Les Mis. But here's a quote from Victor Hugo I found interesting. He says this Be as a bird perched on a frail branch that she feels bending beneath her, still she sings away all the same, knowing she has wings. You know, we can be like that bird. The, the branch that we're perched on might feel precarious, it might feel uneasy, it might feel like it's swaying in the wind and it's cold outside, and, and, and we just feel like that branch is going to give way any minute. Some of you have been through some devastating, challenging circumstances in the last few weeks or the last few months, and you know what it's like to be that bird out there on a branch in the cold and just feeling like gets whipping past you but yet that bird sings because that bird knows it has wings. Our wings are our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he comes, we can fly away with him and we are safe and secure. We can be like that bird. We can sing and worship and praise God even when the branch is creaking, even when it feels precarious and the wind is blowing, because we have wings of faith no matter what storm blows in. We are his Come what may. Amen. So the sleeping fools though in contrast, they didn't consider the possibility of disaster. They didn't even think about the possibility that the bridegroom would take longer than expected. They had just shut that truth out. And so yes, they slept along with the wise girls, but they slept with foolish optimism. They slept with just thoughtlessness. They had they were not really prepared. And so then they're all awakened. They all hear the shout, he's here, the bridegroom is here, wake up. Not one of them slept through the announcement. They all knew that he was there. And ladies, when our Lord Jesus Christ returns, when our bridegroom comes, everybody's going to know. Everybody's going to know he's back. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There will come a time when that trumpet is heard, and we know he's back, and we know he's he's here, and we start worshiping and singing hallelujah. And at that moment, that moment, The distinction will be abundantly crystal clear between the wise and the foolish. Those who know about him versus those who truly know him. Those who know him on the outside compared to those who truly know him on the inside. Those who profess him on the outside and those who possess him on the inside. Those who have the presence of the Holy Spirit that are sealed with with his presence. The single difference between the wise and the unwise is the oil in the lamp. Those wise ones prepared to wait all the way through the darkness. That sustaining faith that's going to last. If Jesus waits longer than we think, or if he if he doesn't, or even in the ordinary circumstances of life, if he doesn't give the answer I want. If he doesn't show up and do what I want him to do, is all my oil gone? Am I trying to light my lamp and look for something that's just not there? Is my faith lasting? The foolish are those people who are striving and religious. They they, they have a lamp, but there's no oil in it. They have religion, but they do not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Real faith in Jesus means the Holy Spirit is present. Real faith in Jesus means we're a true believer. The real woman of faith is alive in Christ. She is filled up on the inside with the oil of faith. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in her heart. In short, there's oil in your lamp if you're a woman of God. So I want I to take some time this morning to talk about and examine the oil since that seems to be the key distinction between the wise and the foolish. They look the same in so many ways, but the difference was the oil. Now, we could spend a whole morning, a whole semester, a whole year studying the Holy Spirit without a doubt. So I had to keep paring down and paring down and paring down what I was going to hone in and share with you about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go through this. I'm going to share several verse references. I invite you and encourage you to jot down those verse references Some of these are even in our text this week, in your daily questions. But just jot down the references. There wasn't even time to put them all on the screen. Go back later. Read those verses. Write them out. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the truth that is there. But when I tried to come up with the points I felt like we needed to hear about the Holy Spirit today, I went to one of my go-to references, Systematic Theology by Dr. Wayne Grudem, A a big old thick book that just I have found very enlightening in my study. So that's the source of these four overarching key areas. So the work of the Holy Spirit, number one, he empowers. First of all, he empowers by giving us spiritual life. The familiar verse that we go to if we're sharing the gospel is always going to be John 3.16. We've probably all memorized that. But what you may not be aware is who Jesus was talking to was talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to him at night, and those words were shared with him as, as Jesus shared the way to eternal life. A few verses before John 3, 16, in verses 6 and 7, Jesus said this to Nicodemus, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. You must be born again. When we are born again, we have that oil and we have that lamp. The thing about being born again That second birth, that tells us there was a first birth, and and for there to be a new birth, the old life had to die. So if you you have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, if you have new life in him, that spiritual birth, in a sense, there has been a funeral in your life. There has been what Mr. Chambers calls a, a, a white funeral. There has been a death to your old life of sin, and you are alive in Christ with a new life and a new identity in him. It's the Spirit who gives life. John 6, 63 says, The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers that life. He also empowers us for service. There are many examples, starting in the Old Testament, where the Holy Spirit came upon to give power to Joshua, to all the judges that God worked through, and the prophets. Through King, through the first King Saul, and then as we study the life of David, we saw the Spirit work through David, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit wasn't pulled out in, poured out in abundance and in fullness until the New Testament. In the New Testament, we saw the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus in His earthly form. When Jesus was baptized, it says that the Spirit descended like a dove. As Jesus went in, immediately then, into the desert for that time of of temptation, it was the Spirit that led him and went with him. It was the Spirit of God that allowed him to quote the Word of God, to do spiritual battle and be victorious against the enemy as as Satan tempted him and, and wanted him to sin, and he was victorious. So many... Examples of miracles performed by the early church recorded in the New Testament, those were empowered by the Spirit. It enabled the early church to proclaim the gospel. The disciples were filled with the Spirit as they proclaimed the word of God boldly and with great power. We saw so many examples of that when we studied the book of Acts a couple of years ago. I love Acts 4.31 that says this. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly, boldly. You know, I think he provides courage for even the most timid among us to open up our mouths and speak up. I've seen many of you, as we share testimonies to open our Bible study each morning, sort of stand up almost physically, visibly shaking, Because it's scary to stand up and speak in front of a group for many of you. But the Lord gives you courage and he provides. And then he does it when you step up to pray with your family. Or when you step up to talk to a friend or share that word of truth. We pray and he provides. But it's not you. It's the Holy Spirit of God working through you and enabling you. The Holy Spirit empowers through the provision of spiritual gifts. When we are his and we have, been, we have that oil of the Holy Spirit, we're given this spiritual gift. And all those spiritual gifts that are read about in Scripture, when we're a healthy body of believers, and those spiritual gifts are active and being used in the local church, it works, and it's beautiful, and it's healthy, and it's a beautiful thing to behold. The Holy Spirit empowers prayer, and He makes it effective even when we don't have words of our own. I love where it talks about in Romans 8.26 how the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, even with groans, we can just spread it out before the Lord and the Holy Spirit can intercede and put into words to the Father what we feel inadequate to bring before Him. He empowers believers to overcome opposition to the spreading of the gospel. In Ephesians 6:17, the Word of God is referred to as the sword of the Spirit. Of course, that's that powerful passage on suiting up with the armor of God and talks about us doing battle in this world. And one of the final elements of the armor, the one offensive weapon that we have, is the Word of God, and it's referred to as the sword of the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that lets us know this Word and share this Word. Scripture tells us that it's foolishness to those who are perishing, Reading the word of God for those that that don't have the Holy Spirit is, is probably akin to reading a foreign language. It makes no sense to them. But when we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, we can read it. He gives us illumination. He gives us understanding. So the Holy Spirit empowers. Are you and I allowing the Holy Spirit to empower us to live as women of God? The second thing is that the Holy Spirit purifies. He works in us first to cleanse us from sin, but then he continues to purify us because we get dirty living in this world. We're still prone to sin and prone to wander, but he continues to work in us to make us more holy. That's that process of that big churchy word called sanctification. It's a changing and conforming to his image. I love 1 Corinthians 6.11. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our Lord. According to 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Don't you love that? Ever-increasing glory. We do not stay the same. We are ever-changing. And it says that an ever-increasing glory comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That process of sanctification and transforming and ever-increasing glory, that's the result of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. It's evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit being, being present in our lives. Galatians 5.22 tells us what that fruit bearing in our lives looks, looks like. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's the superfruit. It should all be there and evident in your life if you are being transformed to ever-increasing glory and looking more and more like your Father. Are you and I allowing the Holy Spirit to purify us? Are we growing in personal holiness as women of God? Are we listening to his prompts and his leading? That leads us to number three, where it tells us the Holy Spirit reveals. The Holy Spirit revealed himself in Scripture, in the Old Testament to the prophets, in the New Testament to the apostles. But ladies, women of God, he still reveals himself to us today. He is still present and active. He guides us. He directs us. John 14, 26 talks about him being our holy reminder. I don't know about you, but I need reminded. Sometimes I don't need to learn anything new. I need to be reminded of what I already believe and what I already know and be prompt and prodded to walk in the light of that truth. The question is, are we going to woman up and, and, and submit and follow where he leads? Are we allowing him to lead us? When my kids were in high school, I made sure they got ballroom dance lessons, because I thought, they may go to the governor's ball someday, and so I organized a group thing and had a bunch of kids come, and we learned to waltz, and we learned to jitterbug, and rumba, and all the tango, and all those fun things. I got to confess to you, this Baptist girl loves to dance. I just love to dance. My husband, not so much. My son, Kyle, not so much. But my son, Luke? can cut the rug. <laughs> He's a good dancer, and he loves to dance. So this mama gets very excited if I get invited to a wedding, and Luca's going to be there, and there's going to be dancing. Because I know I can't count on Kevin to dance with me, but Luke will dance with his mama. But as Luke leads me on the dance floor, he will often whisper in my ear, Now, Mom, I'm the guy. you got to let me lead. <laughs> it will come as no surprise to anyone in here that sometimes I'll try to lead. But there's a, there's a subtleness to dancing. You know, the, the, the guy's arm on your back can just use his fingers to, to direct you and his hand in your hand. It's a beautiful dance. But somebody has to lead. You can't have two people leading and, and have a beautiful, flowing movement on the dance floor. So when I'm dancing with Luke, I need to let him lead. And if I'm going to, to dance through this life with joy and contentment and purpose. I need to dance with the Holy Spirit, and I need to let him lead. I need to take my cues from him. Laura doesn't need to lead out. Laura doesn't need to lag behind, but Laura needs to follow where he leads, and we all do. Romans 8.14 says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And Galatians 5.16 says so i walk by the spirit so i say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh isn't that a joy we don't have to focus on not doing this and not doing that we don't have to keep our that's the bad girl list and i'm not going to do this the christian life doesn't have to be a bunch of do nots we can just focus on keeping in step with the spirit and then we we're naturally not going to gratify all those evil desires it's not a have to or a don't have to it's, It's following him with joy and delight. It's a joy to walk with him, to dance with him, to obey him. So I ask you, are you and I cooperating with the Holy Spirit as he reveals his truth and his way and his guidance? As women of God, are we keeping in step with the Spirit and allowing him to lead? And then finally, number four, the Holy Spirit unifies. You know, I don't think there's anything that blesses a mother's heart more if you have several children than seeing all your children get along and play well together. I think whether it's preschoolers or elementary age children or teenagers or adult children, Mama Bird loves having them all back in the nest, and she loves it when they all get along. It's music to our ears to hear them laughing and interacting, playing board games, having each other's backs knowing that they're not just brothers and sisters, but they really love each other that they're really there for each other. That blesses our mother's hearts. We know we're created in the image of God, and so surely then, with as many verses as talk about unity in, in, in the body of Christ, God feels the same way about his children. I'm convinced it honors him when we love each other well, and scripture teaches that. And that, help, that can only happen with all of us being so different and our flesh getting involved as we allow the Holy Spirit to unify us. Following the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the scripture tells us in Acts 2 that the early, early believers, they gathered together in community. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread, and to prayer. They loved together, each other. They came together. That's joy and community and loving one another well. That's sweet Christian fellowship. Paul used the analogy of a human body to teach how the body of Christ needs each other and talk about the differences, but how they all needed one another. In his letters to the churches, he often called on the early churches to maintain the unity of the Spirit, to draw together, remain unified, bound together, and he certainly challenged them to love one another. In Ephesians 4.3, he wrote to the church there, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort, he says. Are are you and I making every effort? Are our efforts half-hearted, half-baked, half-way? Are we truly all in? Do we sometimes adopt an attitude, well, I will if she will? Or are we committed to making every effort in the body of Christ? You know, loving some people and, and maintaining unity with some in the body of Christ, well, that's easy. She's my friend. I love her. We have so much in common. It's easy to have unity with someone that I care about and who cares about me. That's no problem. But every single one of you can think about a person in the body of Christ where that would not be the case. And that's when we really have to draw on our reserve of oil. That's when we really have to allow the Holy Spirit to lead out to help us love those people that in our mind and to our way of thinking are kind of unlovable. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to na- enable us to find unity and to love well because it says, make every effort. Well, several verses we've shared, several things with this brief overview of the working of the Holy Spirit, but I hope from just those that quick overview you can see that the woman of God is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And it's only by His presence that she is empowered to be, to be empowered by him, to go where he leads, to have eternal life, and to be empowered for service. It's only by the Holy Spirit that she can be purified. The Holy Spirit reveals his will and his way and reveals truth to her. And it's only through the Holy Spirit that she can be unified and find that place of unity with other believers. Beloved friends, the Holy Spirit is the oil in your lamp. His presence is what distinguishes you as one of those five wise bridesmaids. Are you one of the wise? Are you absolutely sure that you know him? Because it's the oil in the lamp that means you're ready to meet him. There's time, there's a little bit of time. That trepid hasn't sounded, but we have no clue if it might sound five minutes from now or if our Lord will wait another five centuries. We have no idea. Right now, it seems that he continues to tarry, but when that trumpet sounds, it will absolutely be too late. We can walk out of here today, and as we're driving home, we could hear the trumpet, and it would be too late. Paul wrote to the Romans, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. If you find yourself today wondering, who am I? Am I one of the wise? Am I one of the foolish? If you kind of think that you might be professing Christ, and I believe that your presence here today means that every single one of you is professing, you have chosen to identify yourself with the body of Christ by coming to put yourself under the word of God and to learn from him. So you're professing, but only you know if you are possessing faith in Jesus Christ. Only you know if your lamp is filled with the oil. You may have a lamp. You may look like one of the other bridesmaids on the outside, but is there oil in your lamp? When Jesus returns, that faith can't be bought or borrowed. You ask some people if they know Jesus, they might say, oh yeah, I've been in church since I was a little girl. My my grandparents started that church. Just like the foolish Bridesmaids couldn't go buy oil. We can't borrow faith in Christ. We have to come to him individually. It doesn't matter what family you came from. When the bridegroom came, the five foolish girls, they couldn't borrow any oil. There wasn't time to buy it, and they missed out. The door was closed to them, and as a woman pointed out, and I just sort of missed that, it was locked. There was no way of getting in. They only heard the most devastating words that will ever be heard. And a lot of you have heard some devastating, hurtful words in your lifetime. You can go right, right now and think about something that's been said to you that's painful and hurtful. But the most devastating words that will ever be heard by anyone is, I don't know you from the bridegroom. Jesus is our bridegroom and he has not come back yet. But he's coming. He is coming. Are you ready? And you know what? You can be. You can make sure that you're ready. The only time to prepare is right now, because he will come suddenly, and he will come unexpectedly. And once that trumpet sounds, that's it. No more opportunities. His coming will signal the end of any further opportunity. So I ask you, is there oil in your lamp? Are you sure? We all have a lamp. We're one of the 10, but do you, do you just know about him? Like you recognize Kathy Lee, or do you really know him? Jesus wrapped up his parable with two words that were also found in last week's text on the parable of the unfaithful servant. He said to keep watch, in Matthew 25, 13, he said, therefore keep watch because you do not not know the day or the hour. We may not know the day or the hour, but we have to make sure that we know him. We have to be ready. We have to be ready. I came across an interesting story online on the subject of being ready. It's about an Air Force pilot. His name was Robbie Robbins, and I I couldn't find a picture of him, but he was an Air Force pilot during the first Iraqi war. And after his 300th mission, he was surprised to be given permission to immediately pull his crew together and to fly his plane home. And so uh, they flew across the ocean to Massachusetts with all of his crew He ended up driving overnight to home in Pennsylvania, and he got to his home in Pennsylvania, and when his buddies dropped off in his driveway, it was early morning, he was so anxious to see his family, he didn't want to waste one more minute, and when he got out of the car and he looked up, there across the garage was this big, huge sign that said, Welcome Home, Dad. And he thought, well, how did they know? I didn't even know myself that I was going to be coming, and I didn't have time to tell them. And he he goes in the house, and there's the kids kind of getting ready for school, and they're in their pajamas, and they're kind of halfway ready, and they're getting ready to eat breakfast. And then here comes his beautiful wife down the hall, and she's in a beautiful yellow crisp dress, and her makeup's on, and her hair's done, and he said, how did you know? How did you know I was coming? And she said, you know, I didn't. And she's crying tears of joy. She goes, I didn't know when. But I knew when we heard the war was over that you'd be coming any day. And I knew you'd want to surprise us. And so I just made sure that we were ready every single day. Isn't that a beautiful story? You know, we may not have a banner across our garage that says, Welcome back, Jesus! But we could. But is that the posture of our heart? Is, are we looking and expecting and keeping watch? Are we ready every single day? Are we absolutely, without a doubt, sure that we're ready? Are we choosing to be ready? Are we choosing to live ready every day? Because you know what? This could be the day the trumpet blows. This could be the day that he comes back. Jesus said as he prayed in John 17, 3, eternal life is this. He's praying to the Father that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Do you have that eternal life? Do you know the one true God? If you know you are ready, then I want to invite you in these next few minutes, if you are one of the ones that has the oil, that you know your lamp is filled, and by golly, you are ready. There may not be a sign, but the posture of your heart is, Jesus, welcome back. If you know you're ready, then please pray for these next few minutes, because I kind of believe that it's possible in a group this size that there's a bridesmaid sitting out here that has a lamp and she's been keeping that lamp shiny and polished and she's been carrying it and she's been there with God's people but she's suddenly thinking and realizing there's no oil in my lamp and I want to be ready because I don't want to get home on my way and hear the trumpet and think, what have I done? It's too late. You know, you find a bill in your pile on your counter that you forgot to pay and there's a late fee and doggone it, that's too bad or you miss your haircut appointment and, oh, now I have to have a a bad hair day for another week because she can't get me in, or you're going to miss your teeth cleaning appointment. There's all sorts of things that we're frustrated that we miss, but you can't miss this because you can't reschedule. If the trumpet sounds and you're not in, it's too late, but you can be sure. And I'm going to spend some time right now praying and helping you be sure. If you're not ready, I want to invite you to pray with me now. Jesus, I realize I'm not ready. I've served you. I, I've shown up. I've, I've been in church. I've got, I've got my lamp, but I'm realizing there's no oil in it. And I desperately need you. God Almighty, I come before you today and I acknowledge that I am a sinner and there's not a thing in the world that I can do to save myself. I need eternal life. I need you. I realize that I've been leading. I've been in the driver's seat. I've I've been sort of directing my life and I've kind of had a foot in both worlds. But your Holy Spirit today is calling me. I am hearing that message and I am overwhelmed by the realization that I am not one of the wise because I have a lamp without oil. So today, Jesus, I declare to you that I need you. That I realize I can't I can't save myself that my sin is despicable. I I'm overwhelmed by it, and I can't fix it. I can't change it. I need you to do it. So I don't know why you love me. I don't know why you want me. But if you want my life and you'll take me, Jesus, today I declare that I am yours. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, that you came and you took the punishment that I deserve, the punishment that if you return before I accept you, I I will be shut out and the punishment that I will get. But, Jesus, thank you that through you I can have eternal life and I can be made whole and your spirit will come within. So, Jesus, I declare today that I'm a sinner. I need the salvation that you offer. I believe that you are the Son of God and I invite you to come in and take over. I'm tired of playing the good girl. I'm tired of checking the boxes and doing the list and and trying to, to work to earn and justify my existence. I realize I can't do enough good things to be justified before you. So today, Jesus, I'm ready for that peace that you provide. I'm ready to walk in freedom, knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that I don't just know about you, that I know you. Thank you for coming in. Jesus, today is my new life. Today begins the first day of my life of eternity found in you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. And for all of us in this room, those who know Christ, Father God, we thank you that there is oil in our lamp, and we just pray that it would shine brightly to those in our world that desperately need to know you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for empowering us to do what you call us to do. Thank you for living and abiding in us. And Jesus, we love you, and we thank you and praise you that you are coming back, and we know you when you come. You are our bridegroom. We pray this in your sweet name and for your sake. Amen. Thanks for being here. Have a great week.